Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of interesting things going on in technology. I'll tell you, they are cracking down on these big uh, big IT companies out in California. Google's, Google is involved, is going to get hit with some antitrust things. They're going after Facebook because they think they're too big too intrusive and they don't honor our privacy facial recognition is going to be hitting these public schools of new york the first school is going to launch this thing and it's a double-edged sword some people think it's a huge privacy violation but on the other hand it may catch people that shouldn't be in the school before they do something bad Mm -hmm. Uh, microsoft warns users to install the latest patch it it was a vulnerability so serious that they even went back and wrote patches for Windows XP, which has already been, which they had said they weren't supporting anymore, right. but they, they wanted to patch everything. So that's quite a quite a warning. And, of course, this week we're going to feature a man who um, is behind interconnects on computers. He His team developed the, uni- the USB uh, connector the Universal Serious Serial Bus Connector. He also did the PCI Express. He did the Accelerated Graphics Port. All of the connectors that makes it easy to use your computer, that's the man who's behind it. His name is A.J. Bott. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We have an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Dr. Shirts and Jim, I have a problem. I dropped my landline phone and went to AT&T's voice over IP and router. Now I can't use my Zoom fax dongle on my computer or send faxes through my router. After contacting Zoom about the problem, they stated that the Zoom was analog and not digital. Furthermore, they stated they do not manufacture any digital faxes. But having a fax machine is handy. What actually are my options now? Is there some way that I can fax from my computer? Uh, really enjoy the podcast down here in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, Doug, uh, the fax protocol is really meant to be transmitted over phone lines. So that dongle that you had, it plugged into the USB port of your computer, and then I'm then the other end of the dongle plugged into your to your landline. And so it was basically just and then you, you were using the fax uh, fax software in your computer to basically go to that dongle and then send a fax out over the phone line. Once the phone line's gone, you really can't send a traditional fax. Now what I do and what I have been doing for a long time, because um, because I went to voice over IP phones, I I, I will just scan my document with with my uh, I've got a printer scanner 
It it could also be a fax, but I don't I don't have a landline, so I can't use it as a fax. So I just print and scan it, and I have it send the convert my scan document to a PDF file and send it to my computer, and then I simply send an email to the person I want to reach, and I uh, I attach the PDF file. Then that way I don't have to send a fax, and they just get an email. It's easier for them. They can just print it out quite easily if they have to sign the document and send it back. But some people still want to use faxes. So your only option, if you really do want to fax, is to use an online fax service. And these online fax services, they've got their own phone lines that they're attached to, and you upload the document there, and they'll, and they'll send the fax for you. Now, the good news is some of them are free. And, uh, you know, if you're, not, if you're not a big faxer, these will be all right. Now, you've got here faxzero.com. Faxzero.com. I'll just give you a couple. All you have to do, look, you can Google free online fax services and you'll get a lot of them. I just, I picked a couple that look pretty good. Faxzero.com. You can send a fax anywhere for free in the U.S. or Canada. You just simply, you just simply go to faxzero.com and then you upload your document or PDF file and then you enter the text that you want to fax, you know, on the cover sheet. And uh, this is a free service. It places an ad on the cover sheet, and it's limited to only three pages per fax, and you can do up to five free faxes per day. Now, if you need more than three pages, you can fax up to 25 pages with priority delivery and no ad on the cover page for $1.99. Now, the second one that looks pretty good to me is gotfreefax.com. Gotfreefax.com. If you'd rather, if you don't want to have an ad on the front page, this got freefax.com. It has no ads on the front page, and it doesn't carry any ads on your fax. Now, you can send faxes online to anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. You can send up to three pages per fax, and you're allowed two free faxes per day. Now, if you need more than three pages, gotfreefax.com allows you to fax up to 10 pages for 98 cents, 20 pages for $1.98, or 30 pages for $2.98. So, I think those services are going to do you just fine, but I still would probably just take and attach my PDF file to an email. So let me ask you a question. I mean, that seems to be Doug's issue is confidentiality. He wants to fax something to somebody as opposed to sending the PDF file because he thinks the email isn't secure. Right. I mean, the fax, the hard copy can wind up in the wrong hands too. Yeah, because you don't know who's at the other end picking up the piece of paper. Exactly. So you, 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 I mean, if you were really worried about confidentiality, you could encrypt your, you can encrypt the uh, the PDF file, <laughs> and then it would take a password to de-encrypt it. Mm-hmm. You could you could do that. You can do that through Adobe, right? Yeah, you yeah you can you can you can do that. There and there are a number of systems to do that, and then they need a password well, to read it. So if somebody if somebody goes into your your, uh, so I guess this really doesn't go through your email these these websites. But if somebody <laughs> could could somebody hack into your computer and get this, even if you send it through Freefax. Well, I I it's, I I don't know. It'd be hard I, to do. It would it would be pretty hard to do cuz I mean essentially you're uploading the file to this website mm-hmm. and uh and I guess then it's vulnerable in well, case winds, of, in case somebody, wind, in case somebody is on that website. It could wind up it's going to wind up on a server regardless. It it goes on a server and then the server basically they have basically something similar to what Doug has a dongle that that just connects to a phone line and they just sh- ship out the fax. And um, and they and but it's going to be on the server and uh, you know so I guess you want to know do they delete the they, do they delete the files on That's the server question. and all that but yeah. 
But but there are also some people, you know, I've had real estate people and they only want faxes. I mean, they're just like in the in, yeah. in the last century and I, they only want to receive a I fax. Want, why is that? I don't know. It just uh, it doesn't people, make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, that's they're, they're, that's what they know and love. And so if you've got somebody that just has to receive a fax, um, you can use the service. Also, some of these services will give you a phone number and you can get an incoming fax. So it looks like you have a fax machine. And basically, it goes into that incoming number, receives the fax, converts it to a PDF, and sends you an email. Hmm. So, so you can actually – it looks like you have a fax number at home, but it's actually online. So they, they, they do have these services, and I hope one of those works for you, Doug. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. Uh, Susan listens to our show. She said, on April 27th, Lynn from Fairfax asked for advice about replacing an old Windows 7 computer. And you said, but you you were saying, well, why don't you just stop using your computer and use a mobile device instead? Uh, you know, because if if she's doing all of her internet surfing on on the well, on her phone anyway, maybe she doesn't even need the computer. Then you had an email from Michael from Boston that said somebody hijacked his router, and your advice to him was to connect his route, connect the router from his computer directly to the Ethernet cable, and or else set up a, a stronger Wi-Fi system. So. I was wondering if I could attach my smartphone or my tablet directly to my router with an Ethernet cable. So instead of using the Wi-Fi connection on my phone, I just plug my phone into the router with an Ethernet cable. Well, uh, I don't not not too many people do that because it's not so convenient, but it is possible to do it. See, what you need is you need a lightning to USB adapter. The lightning plug is, a, is, the, is, is the plug at the bottom of your iPhone. It's called a lightning plug. So you have to go lightning to USB adapter. Then you need a USB to Ethernet adapter. And you've got to have a powered USB hub. And then you finally need the Ethernet cable to plug into your router. So what you do is you disable the Wi-Fi on your iPad or on your iPhone because you don't want to go over the Internet through Wi-Fi. Then you plug the Ethernet cable into one free port on your router. And then you plug the other end into the USB to Ethernet adapter. Then what you do, you connect the USB Ethernet Ethernet adapter to the USB hub, a powered USB hub. Now, the reason you've got to have a powered USB hub is that USB to Ethernet adapter takes a fair amount of power, and it can't get enough power from the computer connection. So it needs its its own power. So you use a powered USB hub, plug that into it, and then you take your your final connection, the lightning to USB adapter, and just plug that into the to the hub. And then you've got everything set up. It'll take a while for your iPad or your iPhone to recognize everything, but then you can surf the web with that Ethernet connection. I don't I don't really recommend that, I, but it's kind of an experiment and it is possible. I looked around and some mm-hmm. some people have done it and um I really don't know why. Uh, we got an email from Carl in Texas. Dear Doc and Jim, I own a small business with just a few employees. We share a common set of files. Now, I've got them stored in a shared folder on my desktop PC, which means I have to leave my computer up all the time so they have access to the files. I don't like that. I'd love to have a different setup so I could turn off my computer, but I don't want to buy a file server and have to maintain it just for a few shared documents. What are my options? Well, um, Carl, I think a single NAS hard drive would be perfect for your situation. NAS, N-A-S. It stands for Network Attached Storage. 
and it would allow everyone to access files on the NAS hard drive anytime, and it wouldn't and it wouldn't depend on your computer. Now, now basically, NAS hard drives are, are like mini servers. They resi- but they look like a, uh, they look like an external hard drive. You plug them in, and they they get to work. I mean, many of the NAS hard drives actually will connect to uh, to your Wi-Fi network directly. They've got Wi-Fi connection. You can just they'll just you just link them to Wi-Fi, or you or you might plug it into the back of your router if you want to have an Ethernet connection to your to your NAS. Now, a NAS device has several advantages over a file server. They don't require, don't require a keyboard, a mouse, a monitor. They can be administered remotely from any of the PCs on the network or from your mobile device. And they typically come with pre-installed software for backing up all the computers on your network, which is pretty nice. You could actually then, the three computers there could all back up to the NAS drive automatically. So you can buy NAS devices that hold multiple hard drives. Um, now, given the size of your office, I'd recommend that you get a device with two 8-terabyte uh, hard drives. Uh, now, the reason you want two hard drives is that you configure the NAS server so that it's in mirror mode, so that both hard drives, you write files to both hard drives at the same time. They mirror each other. Now, the reason you do that is if one hard drive fails, you've still got the data on the other one, and you can simply replace it. So you have an automatic real-time backup in the second hard drive at all times, which I think is very important for Office files. Now, what I would also do is that because if you if these are really valuable files, I would also back up the NAS server to the cloud using something like Carbonite. So if, in case somebody steals the external hard your NAS your you know your network you know your network device, um, you still have all your files backed up to the cloud, and I think that'll work for you pretty well. Now if you look at you know I, I just went on to the to Amazon. You could you could get for instance there's a Synology two bay NAS disk station. It's around two ninety eight on Amazon, and then you could get a couple of, a couple of four terabyte hard drives for the Western Digital NAS hard drives are they would be about one hundred nineteen dollars each. So you're looking at three hundred you know two to three hundred dollars for the NAS uh, drive system, and then about a hundred dollars each for the hard drive. So you'd be up to around five hundred dollars. You'd have everything that you would need. And that uh, would be a very good solution for your office. We've got an email from Alice in D.C. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard that anyone can clone your Facebook account and impersonate you. How can I prevent that from happening? Alice in D.C., well, account cloning is a problem, and scammers are doing it more and more and more. So what they, what they basically do, they create another account, which, which has a name very similar to yours, but not exactly, and then they populate it with photos and personal information from your real account. And then what they do, because they can see all your friends, they then actually make friend requests to all the friends in your list of friends. And it looks like it's you with the new account. And so a lot of your friends are just going to um, accept that friend request. And boom, now they've got a fake account connected to your friends. Now, scammers that clone accounts, because they're, they're, they're basically trying to, um, you know, do some sort of um, fraudulent activity with your friends. So the people that clone the accounts really only want to clone accounts that have a lot of friends and have a, a big friends list because that gives them a lot of uh, victims. So the best way to keep people from cloning your account is to hide your friends list. 
so people can't see it. Because if your friends list is hidden, your account isn't worth much to a to an account cloner. Interesting. So what you want to do is you just you just go to the. It's very easy to do. You can, you can just click on the upper right hand corner and go to your timeline. Then you click on your friends link. There's a little pencil shaped icon, by beside the find friends button. Click on that, and then you click edit privacy, and you go down to a line that says see who your see who your see who can see your friends list, and you've got different choices there, and you just select only me. And then click done. And once you've done that, you're the only one who can see your friends list and no one else can see it. I think if you do that, nobody is going to steal or cl- nobody's going to clone your account because it won't be of any value to them. We got an email from Don in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, my Windows computer is running very, very slow these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's annoying. How can I speed it up? Well, there are several things you can try, Don. Uh, first of all, First thing I would do is check for malware. You want to scan for malware because that will really slow down because it does a lot of stuff in the background. And remove any viruses or adware. Then you want to remove any programs or apps that you don't use. It could be that you run out of hard drive space. Um, And just get rid of any programs or apps that you don't use on your computer. There's probably a lot of them that were loaded on there. Then you want to look at the programs that auto-load. Right when when you turn on your PC... A lot of times you'll install programs and they, they and they'll just and they'll just automatically add themselves to auto load and and you may not want to have all these programs loaded and eating up all your RAM. Now also you want to be sure your PC is not overheating because <clears throat> what happens is on a, the PCs if if the CPU detects that it's getting too hot, frequently the computer is programmed to simply slow the clock speed down in order to bring the temperature down. So just make certain that's not happening. And the last thing you may want to look at is how much RAM you have. If you've got less than 4 gigabytes of RAM, I think if you double it to 8 gigabytes, you'll see a real speed improvement. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature A.J. Bott, B-H-A-T-T, A.J. V. Bot. His middle initial is V. I don't know what the V stands for. A.J. Bot is an Indian-born American computer architect who's best known as creator of the USB, the Universal Serial Bus, the AGP, the Accelerated Graphics Port, the PCI Express, as well as platform power management architecture in the Intel chip. I'm sure you'll tell us what each of these are. I'll I tell think it. everybody's pretty much familiar with what a USB is. Everybody is. So A.J. Bat was born September 6, 1957 in India. He got a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Maharaja Sarah Jiro University in Baroda, India. I'll go with that, sir. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I think I've messed that one up quite a bit. I don't know. And you, um, But you sounded confident, and that's what I, matters. Exactly. That was in 1980. I got his BSEE. Now, his he was growing. He was very technical minded guy. But his whole family, they were all liberal arts professionals. You know, English teachers and that sort of thing. And he was the only techie in the family. So he was the go-to person to fix radios, fix televisions, anything that was wrong. He was like the local help desk. <laughs> now his interest in electronics eventually led him to leave India and study at the City University in New York where he helped develop video technology that was used aboard the Columbia Space Shuttle. He worked in the, um, you know, did a little bit of research there while he was going to school. He received a Master of Science in EE, Electrical Engineering, from the city of New York in 1984, and he was immediately hired by Wang Laboratories as a principal engineer. Now, he joined the architecture group for the Motorola-based workstation product line, and he worked on architecture questions. In 1990, after, after six years, he joined as staff architect at Intel, and he led a team of engineers that defined the architecture for the Energy Star compliant green desktops. See, you remember how the, you know, your computer goes into it like an energy saving mode? He, mm-hmm. cre- he created that. He created that at Intel, so it was built right into the chip. Now... The power management architecture proposed by AJ and his team became a standard feature in every Intel platform shipped since 1994. So we've all we've all done this. He then provided key technical support to the ISA plug and play architecture. This is where you, you that's the ISA that's the that's the bus in a in a PC and you plug the cards into that ISA bus. And they would automatically automatically configure themselves with plug and play, so you don't wouldn't have to turn these switches or configure them. That just made life easier for people assembling and modifying their computer. Now, while he was working on a new printer for his wife's computer, he was confronted with a huge frustration. Remember, we used to have all these different kind of connectors. We had like the serial port. Serial ports, we had parallel ports, we had, we had a different connector for the mouse. In the back of your PC, all different kind of connectors, different devices had different connectors, and it was always a challenge to try to hook stuff up. So, you know, you'd have to negotiate a, a maze of uh, computer competing plug designs in order to figure out which, pl- which plug was right. Then you'd have to install a device driver for that plug every time, you, you know, every time you had something. It was just very complicated. And he said, you know, we've got to simplify this mess. We've got to have one plug that does it all. 
So I don't. I could have one plug for a printer, one plug if I want to have an external hard drive. The same plug could work for a mouse. It doesn't matter what it is. One plug would be all. He needed a universal plug. So he he then started working on that, and uh, and the universal plug that he came up with was the universal serial bus, the USB plug, and now it's u- ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Yep. In 1992, he then, after proposing this, he became the chief architect for USB development. Now, and he led an industry, but you have to get everybody in, in industry to use the same plug. You know, they all keep using their old proprietary plug. It's not going to do any good. So mm-hmm. he, he pulled together an industry-wide team and got everyone to agree to that universal plug. So everybody had the same plug. Now, the funny thing is, the 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 device which actually released it first was actually a, a Macintosh device because Steve Jobs always liked to have new 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 plugs on his machine. So even though this was developed at Intel, it came out on a on a Mac machine first. And I think back at that time, Mac was using a Motorola chip, not the Intel, not the Intel chip. So he all he in addition this, to this industry wide team he basically helped define the standards for USB 1.0 and that spec came out in 1995. Now he went on to lead other teams that were responsible for platform architecture planning. They were you know in clients and servers and storage and manageability and across the board. Now in 2009 he became lead architect for the PCI Express bus. This this was the the bus. This was the computer bus that replaced the old ISA bus, and and, and he wanted to get some standardized design and, and and better improvement. PCI stands for Peripheral Component Interconnect. By the way, you, you pop a card in that. Now he led the development of the next generation client platform architecture, uh, which which basically laid out the architecture for all the in, Intel chips. He retired from Intel in 2016 after 25 years. He holds 132 patents. Now the interesting thing, in order because Intel really wanted to have this USB port to be universally accepted, they released even though Intel had patented it, they released it to all companies. They didn't charge any royalties at all because they wanted everyone to use it because they thought it made computing so much better. So AJ, who created this USB port, didn't make a single penny from it. There were no royalties, but but he's just happy that, that that he could contribute to the field. He was featured in the 2010 issue of GQ India and is <laughs> and is one of the um, uh, 50 most influential global Indians. He's he's quite a humble guy, and it's it's it was interesting to see how he how he went through and developed this thing. And he always wor- was working on architecture to make computers a little bit easier to use. So there you go. Everything you want to know about A.J. Bott, the man behind the USB port. Hope you're paying attention because you can take the information Dr. Schertz just imper- imparted upon you via the airwaves and turn it into free lunch. We'll play the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, on the web at stratford.edu, and you can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. I know you love the show, but you're just going to have to contain yourself. They're, they're being more well-behaved this morning. Yeah, I think it's are. because we withheld the popcorn yes, until I they think, sat down. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is not just a radio show. This is a classroom of the airwaves. And if you get the correct answer to our assessment method, which is a pop quiz, you'll win tickets to fine dining to one of our um, to one the dining rooms of one of our campuses. And you will also get an A-plus for today's show. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about A.J. Bott. He, of course, invented a lot of the universal plugs that we see on computers. And the most famous one is the USB plug, the universal serial bus plug that we all use for almost all of our devices. What inspired him to create the USB port? If you know the answer to today's question, super. Now's the time to pick up your phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're enjoying the crisp June weather in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else anywhere else may call us on the international line. Which is, of course, 8779-3639-333. He's such a wise now, guy. Once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yeah, let's talk about the website of the week. The World Privacy Forum. The World Privacy Forum. It's a nonprofit site. It's dedicated to reimagining privacy in the digital era. Now, this is an extremely uh, good site because it has a detailed opt-out list. For data brokers, with all the respective links and the steps needed to remove your information from the company's files. Now, WPF, the World Privacy Forum, has put together what it calls the top 10 
opt-outs. It's a detailed step-by-step guide to pulling your information from data brokers around the world. This is a great resource if you want to get your information off the web. So Mm. go to www.worldprivacyforum.org, and you can find out everything you need to do to just reclaim a little bit more of your privacy. Facial recognition is coming to New York schools. Lockport City School District will be the first U.S. public school system to test facial recognition on students and staff. Now, the district began the initial implementation phase of the Aegis software suite. Now, the Aegis applications includes a facial recognition tool called Sentry that alerts school officials if anyone from the local sex offenders registry or anybody banned from the school enters the school could be somebody banned like a suspended student, a fired employee, or a known gang member. Now, the company also offers Protector, which is a shape recognition tool that recognizes the top 10 guns used in school shootings, and Mercury, a forensic search engine that can review any unattended video. Now, the district has already increased security majors in the past, like they have Raptor ID, which reviews all government-issued IDs presented by building visitors and alerts them if they're on the sex offender database. The Aegis system will not compile information or track any information or movements of anyone who is a staff member, a visitor, or a student. It basically is limited to only identifying individuals whose photograph has been entered into the system database on on the district property. Now, the people in the database are those who aren't allowed on the property. So if one's identified, if somebody's identified from the list, uh, Aegis Software will notify the staff. If in case the recog- the image recognition software identifies a gun, it will alert the police immediately. Hmm. There you go. That's actually that's I think that's cool. a pretty good. I think that is a pretty good system. Really, mm-hmm. I, that's mm-hmm. a good idea. So does anybody? We have any calls yet on the? We do, but we we ha, we are in manual mode. Oh, so I we see. We no longer can communicate from one studio to the other. Uh, electronically, so Andrew has to run to the printer, I see. get the caller's information, and bring it in here. But I believe that information is just arriving Whoa, as we speak. So look at that. <laughs> I can see where Andrew is. Wait a minute. Let's back off on that a little bit. That's a little bit hot. Oh, look at this. Let's go to line number two. This is Thomas. <laughs> what is going on with the phones? <laughs> There uh, we go. That will be Thomas. Let's try this on another line, okay? Let's let's put him back on hold. Learning by doing. Nope. We still have the hold music. That's that's awfully nice though. So Thomas, I'm sorry, we can't take your call. Let's see if we do when we go to this line. This is line number one. Lewis, are you there? No. Nope. Wait a minute. Lewis, are you there? Nope. We're getting some sort of, I hate to say this, guys, uh, we're getting some weird music on the on the phone line. Yeah. I can't, yeah, so we're going to have to move along here. We'll move along, and we'll just get the winner yeah, offline. We'll, we'll get the winner offline, okay. and we'll get you your prize. Sorry about that, but uh, the <laughs> Let's, you know, let's get oh, rid of Oh, thank goodness. Oh, oh. And, and let's, let's enjoy no, the, no, I just, the fine, high-quality phone music. Yeah, let's just relax here. Let's just get rid of that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Amazon wants to stop selling items as, as a loss. Now, Amazon is rethinking its strategy for things that are just too bulky or too heavy to ship. They have an internal name for it called Can't Realize a Profit. Can't Realize a Profit. C-R-A-P. Mm-hmm. 
So they want to eliminate As all... As opposed to can't get a phone on the air, which is key yeah, that's right. whatever. <laughs> can't realize a profit, so they call it C-R-A-P. They want, to get, <laughs> they want to get all the crap off the website. I think that's what I'd call our phones. Can't, yeah. <laughs> Same same acronym. <laughs> now things that are that they that they refer to as crap, uh, CR can't realize a profit, are things like bottled water, paper towels, snack foods that all sell for less than fifteen dollars, and they're very heavy or very bulky to ship. Interesting. So Amazon's trying to focus on more profitable items, and it wants to get rid of all the crap from its website, and they want customers to buy less <laughs> crap online. I, you know, I think Amazon just it really enjoyed coming up with that Why acronym. You tell can't that, can't buying, realize a profit. Tell Marianne to stop buying most crap online. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'd, you know, I'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. So what? What they? So what they try to do is they 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 try to like if it's something that is cheap, they they, they try to make you buy maybe twenty of them at once. So it's it's more profitable and and things that just can't be shipped. Uh, profitably what they do they just have the they just let them be shipped by the third party so if the store wants to sell you water they, they'll let them ship it and then amazon won't won't take the loss on the shipping mm-hmm. okay let's talk about starlink update remember uh, a couple of weeks ago amazon launched 60 satellites which were the first part of their of their global internet connection and they, they want to provide Internet to the world via satellite. And so they, they sent their first 60 up. They launched all 60 in one, in one flight. And uh, all 60 of them have, have deployed their solar arrays. They communicate with each other so they don't hit each other. They actually have small uh, propulsion systems on board. So now they are very slowly moving into a higher orbit. Uh, it'll take them three to four weeks to get into a higher orbit. And so they're gradually moving in and... Uh, and um, and SpaceX has has announced that actually they're all working and they're all adjusting themselves very well. So uh, many of them have already deployed their broadband phased array antennas. They've got the solar cell uh, solar panels pointed at the sun, and everything's working perfectly. Now astronomers are worried about all these satellites because eventually. Um, uh, SpaceX is going to launch, you know, hundreds of these yeah. things. They're all over the whole world. And astronomers that do this deep space imagery, what happens is that they might they might leave an exposure of one part of space for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because they've got to capture a lot of photons. And if one of these satellites goes through the field of view, it totally ruins the picture. So a lot of astronomers are a little concerned about these devices because they... They are. You can see them in the. You can see them in the in the night sky because they are not. They're they're low Earth orbiting, orbiting, and they are they're reflecting the the sun. So you, could, you when they right after they deploy them, you go out at night. You can see a whole line of these things. They're all in a line. Now, what uh, SpaceX is saying, they're going, once they get uh, fully deployed at their at their ultimate, um, you know, that they're at their ultimate orbit, they won't be that visible. And right in the beginning, I think the um, the the solar arrays were pointed. In a way that they got a big reflection, so now they've been redeployed toward the toward the sun, and so they said there's there's not as much reflection coming from this. So SpaceX said the astronomers shouldn't have to worry, but they're still worried. Gotcha. Hey, let's go out to break. Okay. And uh, homage to our fabulous phone system, we're going to go to break with okay. ELO, a little telephone line coming up here 
on Tech Talk Radio. It starts okay. off a little bit slow. Let me fast forward it. Here we go. There we go. There it is. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tech Talk. <laughs> uh, this is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope to your app to your device. Following us at Tech Talk Radio. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. We'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, how you feeling? If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. The Department of Justice is looking at Google and thinking of filing an antitrust probe. Now, they're preparing an antitrust investigation of Google. Unnamed sources close to the matter say they are looking at Google's practices in relating to its web search and other ad businesses. The new investigation could come as is coming as backlash grows against all the major tech companies who dominate segments of the online economy. I mean, Elizabeth Warren argued that big firms such as Facebook, Google, Apple should be broken up through antitrust enforcement. Alphabet's profit in the last, first three months of this year was, was low because they paid a huge antitrust fine with, in the European Union. They were fined $1.7 billion. They had to pay that in March. Now, Google's separately working to satisfy EU regulators who are investigating its Android devices – and Google last year was fined $5 billion because they felt that they were forcing um, only the use of the Chrome browser and only the use of Google search on the phones, and they were excluding all of the companies. So now Google's earlier this year said it would offer smartphones that offer five browsers, not just Chrome, and it will offer multiple search engines, not just Google search, in order to meet the EU competition concerns. Now, Brussels, this is, a, you know, it's the head of the European Union, accused Google of using the Android's dominance in smartphones and tablets to promote its own search engine or Chrome browser. So 
Google is not really playing nice when things happen. They they were fine last year because they were sort of playing around with the search results and favoring their own products and their mm-hmm. own advertisers. Now, the cat's finally out of the bag on Facebook. You know, fa- Facebook said, uh, you know, they've been always saying, oh, yeah, we're going to protect your privacy. Well, in court <laughs> last week, Facebook argued that the file, that the, that the privacy, um, uh, that the action, the, the sort of the court case relating to privacy should be thrown out because they, Facebook said, actually, the user's privacy rights uh, aren't there because the user should have no expectation of privacy when using social media. Therefore, the whole lawsuit should be thrown out. You know, this is what the Facebook general counsel said. There is no invasion of privacy at all because there is no privacy. <laughs> now, this this uh, now this court case uh, was basically a pretrial hearing stemming from the Cambridge Analytical scandal. Remember, Cambridge Analytical, they, uh, they, uh, they got a hold of a lot of user data and they used it for all kinds of research, including helping the... Um, Republican Party target certain donors and certain voters, and and that really teed off a lot of people in the U.S. And so that and so there was a a court case that grew out of that. Now the company reportedly did not deny that third parties access the data, but instead it said, "Well, who cares? Because it, the user should not have expected any privacy anyway." Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the whole big deal about the court case? Now that's not what Zuckerberg says publicly. But what they're saying in court, I think, is represents their real feeling. Now, case, Facebook's expecting to face about a $5 billion fine from the FCC for, ele- for its alleged failure to protect user privacy. And uh, so I think Facebook is not really a good player in all of this. Gotcha. I think these big IT companies are turning out not to be such great players. Gotcha. Let's yep. take a short break. Okay. This is a Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2 and 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program. Go ahead and download the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University 
with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Microsoft has issued a big warning and it wants people to install the latest patch. They issued a, its second advisory this month urging users to update their systems to prevent a rerun of the attacks similar to the WannaCry outbreak. Remember, the, um, they said it's a vulnerability in the remote desktop service for Windows that allows attackers to remotely run code on the vulnerable computers. This, I think, is how they got into Baltimore's, uh, I think with this vulnerability is how they got into the Baltimore, uh, Baltimore system up, up there with mm-hmm. all of their Robin uh, spyware with Robinhood, yeah. Now, this vulnerability allows it to spread to other computers in the similar way that WannaCry malware spread across the globe in 2017, causing billions of dollars in damage. Now, the past patch was released earlier this month in Microsoft's usual release. They call it Patch Tuesday. They always release their patches on Tuesday. Hmm. So they, it was a normal release on Patch Tuesday, and it was and the bug is called Keep Blue, and it's a critical vulnerability that affects computers running Windows XP and later, including all server operating systems. Now, this vulnerability can be used to run code at the system level, allowing full access to the computer, including the data. Worse, it is remotely exploitable, allowing anyone to attack the computer from the Internet. Now, the good news is Windows 8 and Windows 10 are not vulnerable. Microsoft said this, this, this vulnerability is so serious that they even wrote a patch for Windows XP, which they said they're no longer supporting because they do not want to have any XP machines out there connected to the Internet. So if you've got an old Windows operating system hooked to the Internet, XP, you've got Windows 7, those would be the two, two main ones out there, Windows 7 or XP, you better run this patch and you better run it fast because normally Microsoft does not make such stark warnings. Good news is 7 Windows Windows 8.1 and Windows 10 are not vulnerable. They've already been fixed. Good. Now, China is taking over the rare earth market. Now, rare earth elements are elements that, that are used in all kinds of uh, electronic devices, are used for, uh, for solar panels, are used for TV screens. They're, they're a critical component in, in a lot of products that, are, that, that the U.S. makes. The U.S. Geological survey describes them as a relatively abundant group of 17 chemical elements. Now, what makes them unusual, however, is that they're very difficult to extract in high concentrations from the ground. Now, here are some of the names of the rare earths. Cerium, Promethium, Scandium. <laughs> Never heard of well, I've ne- heard of uh, cer- uh, Cerium. Cerium, yeah. And so... There you go. There is, uh, and so these these sound something out of the science. Well, there are seventeen of them, and they're used for making magnets, making batteries, making lights. They're used for glass production. They're used for cooling of nuclear rods. The U.S. military depends on rare earths for the construction of equipment used in satellites, lasers, jet engines, radar, sonar systems, and other sophisticated machinery. Now, here's the rub: in the from 1960 to the 80s, the U.S. was the global leader in rare earth mineral production based out of a mine in California, which later closed. But China quickly gained ground in the 1990s, and now it is home to more than 30% of the world's rare earth reserves. In 2017, China accounted for roughly 80% of the world's rare earth production, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Other countries include India, Brazil, and Australia, with, with a much smaller output. 
The U.S. imported almost $160 million worth of rare earth elements last year, mainly from China. In 2010, Japan accused the Chinese government of purposely halting its supply of rare earth materials, which was crippling its electronic industry, and they, they accused it of doing it in retaliation for, uh, uh, for the fact that Japan had detained a Chinese fishing trawler captain who was found in the waters of dispute between the two nations. Japanese use rare earth for a number of uses, including production of hybrid cars, solar, glass panels, battery pack. Now, Chinese President uh, Xi kind of tipped his hand. You know, we're in this big trade war with China. Right. Mm-hmm. Last week, he toured the rare, earth, the rare Earth Kingdom. That's what they call it, where they mine all the rare He toured the Rare Earth Kingdom, and I think he was giving a hint to President Trump that you do stuff to us, we can do stuff to you. Yeah. And this... Uh, Chinese takeover, the rare earth element, this is a strategic failure on the part of the U.S. to let that happen. Yeah. 5G networks could interfere with weather forecasting. What? That's interesting. Yeah, this this is actually quite interesting. Forecasters say interference from the 5 gigahertz radar will occur in the 24 gigahertz band. You see, the 5G, that they opened up a lot. They opened up more, more bands that were available you know there was there was leftover bands in the in the spectrum and they and they they pulled all these together to make them available for 5G because in order to get that throughput you need more bandwidth and in particular they gave 5G the 24 gigahertz band and this is a a problem according to weather people because that band is also used as a way of uh, when they when they when they have sensors that predict the intensity and the path of major hurricanes now NOAA's acting chief—that's the—that's uh, uh, that's our weather operation. NOAA acting chief testified in Capitol Hill that inter- interference from the new 5G wireless radios could reduce the accuracy of weather forecasting by as much as 30 percent. Now FCC auctioned off the 24 gigahertz spectrum in March to wireless carriers for the 5G network. The problem comes from the usage of the 2.4 gigahertz band, which is very close to the band used by NOAA. NOAA uses a band which is at 23.8 gigahertz, and this band is at 24 gigahertz. They're so close together that they said there's going to be interference. Hmm. The concern is that the 5G radio carriers, when they use a 24 gigahertz band, will interfere with these sensors that operate at 23.8 gigahertz, and that's going to be a problem. Now, they say they might have to turn down the power, but people are kind of worried about that, and that's not a bad idea to worry about, really. You know, as you're reading this, I'm thinking Mm. uh, we have this insatiable desire and need for for bandwidth, for for, uh, data and everything that we're doing, and they just keep coming up with more and more ways – to expand that spectrum, so that to because the demand keeps keeps growing. At some point, it, 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 is there some point at which this is all going to have to stop? I mean, it's, there's a finite ima- amount of bandwidth, right? There's only so much bandwidth, yeah. And so what? And it's bandwidth that uh, that will propagate through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can't be frequencies that are absorbed by the atmosphere. And so what 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 happens? And where they're getting this from? is the old bandwidth was used basically for analog communication and TV and, yeah for TV it was it was analog it wasn't digital and and it was you know relatively simple signal processing and so it it used that bandwidth very inefficiently so then as we've converted the digital communication and signal processing systems that use the bandwidth much more efficiently 
uh, the old applications were given less bandwidth because they used that bandwidth more efficiently. And that left gaps that were then available. Those gaps were then reallocated to the cellular people for more bandwidth. And so we're actually seeing a reallocation of bandwidth, mm-hmm. which is which is all run by the FCC. It's a reallocation of bandwidth as we repurpose our uh, our basic uh, systems. We're going through the second phase of that now. In fact, the TV stations in Washington and Baltimore are in the process of moving to other frequencies. There are some TV stations that are that are not the, the big ones. Mm-hmm. They're actually going off the air. There are stations that have actually sold their frequency because it was worth more money to you know to sell it to the to the the, the, the communications people. That's right. That's that's exactly right. So this this whole management of of bandwidth, I I think we are going to see more and more of this happening uh, around the world. And every country controls their own bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You know, so they each all have their equivalent of the federal of the Federal Communications Commission. And then in order to allocate the bandwidth, and the government makes a lot of money. They auction it off. Yep. And they make yep. a they make a boatload of money on that yeah. when they when they auction off the. Uh, auction off the bandwidth. And so there are certain bands that were allocated, say, to, um, say, that are just available just to civilian devices. That's like the like the 2.4 gigahertz bandwidth and the 5.8 gigahertz bandwidth that our Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. that mm-hmm. our Wi-Fi operates on. That was allocated for all sorts of consumer devices. And so that's that's used quite quite frequently. Yeah, pe- people don't don't realize that your toaster, your your blender, they put off RF. They put off. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Now let's talk about the um, uh, Internet of Things, and it's going to revolutionize transportation. I mean, things are changing with transportation. For instance, China is targeting 10% of all of its vehicles to be fully autonomous by 2030. And they're looking at autonomous vehicles that are going to connect to the Internet and, and sort of make things happen. They're looking at putting sensors and controllers in the road so that you will communicate with the devices. They think that we'll have, like, reduced auto collisions because cars will talk to each other, and they'll know where they are, and they'll, and they'll you know, compensate for bad driving. We'll have more efficient routing and parking because Internet of Things, it'll, it'll identify where a parking place is. It'll take you right there. We'll have basically improved traffic flow. So I'm telling you, technology is going to transform education. I mean, not transform transportation. Right. Listen, we love all your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And check out the programs at Stratford University. Go to www.stratford.edu. Check out all those programs healthcare, IT, computer software, culinary, hospitality, business. And tell me you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.